Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. This past year, we have had a lot of questions, but not so many answers. There have been COVID questions and racial questions and protest questions and tax questions and government questions and election questions. And these are just the ones that most of us have shared. For individuals, there have been a whole host of other questions. What about my business? What about my health? What about my job? What about my family? Or my own life? I think we've been doing our best to hold out for the answers to these questions, but sometimes they don't come as fast as we would like them to, if they ever come at all. And we aren't the first to experience this. It may feel that way, but we're not the first age of people who has had to deal with questions that went unanswered. The Old Testament believers certainly knew what this felt like. In the Bible, God tells us that the Old Testament prophets searched over the things that they had written down by inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that they could find out the answers to the questions that they had. They knew that these words that they had written down were not their own words. They knew they were God's word. And they wanted to know who this Savior person was. And when was he going to arrive? to take their sins away. Jesus himself told his disciples, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That's from Matthew 13. The writer to the Hebrews teaches us that all these people died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's from Hebrews 11. Yes, it must have been hard to be an Old Testament believer, waiting for answers that would never come to them this side of the grave. But suddenly, the answers came. In our sermon reading for today, we're going to see some of the biggest questions of the Old Testament prophets answered. Holy Spirit, bless our study of your word. Amen. The Old Testament that I think probably had the most questions, the Old Testament prophet that had the most questions, I think was probably Isaiah. In chapter 40 of his book, the Holy Spirit caused him to write the following words. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah must have wondered, who is this voice in the wilderness? Who's that going to be? And how is he going to make straight the way of the Savior? How is he going to level the road before the glory of the Lord is revealed? We read from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. How happy Isaiah would have been to be transported there to the side of the Jordan River and to see John the Baptist preaching and baptizing people there. This is the guy? This ragged-looking man? Yes, Isaiah. This is the voice in the wilderness. His name is John. Like Isaiah, John was sent as a messenger from God to the people. He was sent to tell them that they were sinners who had absolutely no hope of making up for the sins that they had committed. They were not good enough, and they could never be good enough to stand in God's judgment when he would judge their actions and their words and even their very thoughts. But his message had more. He was also to tell them that there was hope. Not something that they could do, but there was hope because there was a Savior coming. And they were to, at God's instruction, turn away from their sins and trust in this Savior who was coming to take their sins away. God even gave John a special gift to give to the people. Baptism. For those who heard God and believed his message, there was a special washing which would take away their sins. Kind of like the Old Testament sacrifices, this washing, this baptism, would connect the people to the coming Savior. This baptism would give them the forgiveness of sins. This Savior was going to win for them. And so the people came. They knew very well what God's high standards were and how they had failed. They had not delivered according to God's law. And so they went out and they gladly received this rescue, this washing. And just so we don't misunderstand here, this wasn't some quaint religious ritual, some come out to desert church and we'll get you wet in the river and then you can go back to living your life the way it used to be. No. No. John was genuine. And his message was as real as it gets. A connection to the Savior was going to mean a real change in these people's lives. And John counseled the people on what this would look like because it wasn't going to be zap, poof, oh, you're new, that's it. 
No, real change usually takes a process, doesn't it? First would come the forgiveness, and then the Holy Spirit remodeling these people from the inside out through the Word of God. Listen to this exchange between John and the people from Luke chapter 3. The crowds were questioning him, saying, What then shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with the one who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. You see, the voice in the wilderness wasn't just crying out. He was teaching, too. By his words, God's words, mountains of pride were being leveled, and the humble faithful were being lifted up. The people's hearts were being made ready to meet their Savior. Now, Isaiah wasn't the only Old Testament prophet with a question. Malachi was another. And his question was the last one in the Old Testament. Listen to these words from Malachi 4, verses 1 through 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. In this prophecy, Malachi speaks of a fiery, burning judgment coming for the wicked. But he also speaks of rescue for the faithful. Through Malachi, the people are reminded to look to the law and to follow it. And also, God tells them that before the end comes, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he will send them Elijah the prophet. And this Elijah would turn the people back to their God-given responsibilities. No doubt Elijah or Malachi 
must have wondered, who, who is this Elijah? Is God going to send the Old Testament Elijah back down out of heaven in his fiery chariot? And how is he going to turn the people's hearts back to the will of God? We read from Mark chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Malachi would have been just as thrilled as Isaiah to be transported to that Judean wilderness to see John with his own eyes. This is the guy? The one with the camel hair tunic and the leather belt? And what is he eating? He seems more like a hermit than a herald. Yes, Malachi. That's the Elijah that you spoke of. But not the one that went to heaven in the fiery chariot. This is a different soul. But his ministry is oh so similar to the old one. This one will challenge the people to turn away from their idols, just like the old Elijah did. This one will call out the king of the land for his sins and will be hated by that king's queen just like the old Elijah. And hopefully, the people will make the connection between these two because this Elijah will even dress like the old one and will live in the wilderness like the old one. And the people did make the connection. Many wondered if John the Baptist was Elijah come down from heaven. And some wondered if he might even be more important than that. Some wondered if he might even be the Christ. You see, it wasn't just Old Testament prophets who had questions and wanted answers. The people of John's day had questions too. Just who exactly is this John the Baptist? Where did he come from? Is he the Savior that was foretold? And John answered these questions himself. With his rugged appearance, he told them, well, I'm not here to be your king or lead your armies. I'd need different clothes for that. No, I'm, I'm not your king. I'm not your general. With his simple food, he told them, I'm not here to lead you to riches and luxury either. I don't even have those for myself. And with his words, he revealed what he was there to do. He was there to tell them about the one to come, to reveal that he would be this one who was coming after John. He would be so magnificent that John wasn't even worthy to touch his dirty sandal. This is the attitude toward Christ you and I need to cultivate. 
that he is so great that I'm not worthy to even touch his dirty shoe. But because of his cross, I will get to sit with him on his heavenly throne. That's his promise to us. You can read about it in Revelation 3. But now we need to go back to Isaiah one more time to hear from his words again, this time in Isaiah chapter 61. There he wrote, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isaiah speaks a prophecy the very words of the Savior. Let me read those first two lines again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Isaiah must have wondered, who is this? This person who will be anointed with the very Spirit of God. We read from Mark chapter 1, Verses 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. God answered Isaiah's question definitively on the day that Jesus was baptized. The one anointed with the Holy Spirit, the Christ, was Jesus of Nazareth. The one that God said he loved and was perfectly pleased with because Jesus had no sin. He was the only man on the planet that this could be said of, that God was perfectly pleased with. The prophets had seen him from afar, and the shepherds had glimpsed him in the manger, but now here at the Jordan River came a more full revealing, an epiphany. And it all started here at the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. Now, we might wonder, why was Jesus getting baptized? I mean, he didn't have any sins to wash away, right? And that's a fair question. This confused John the Baptist, too. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we're told that John resisted the idea of baptizing Jesus right away. He said, you need to baptize me, not the other way around. But then Jesus told him, 
Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. I take that to mean, John, you may not understand this now, but this is part of my Father's will for me, to be baptized. So let's do this. And then John consented. And a number of great things happened. First of all, the prophecy that Jesus would be, that the Savior would be anointed with the Holy Spirit came true. It was even visible, the Spirit descending upon him and remaining. And then John realized in full as well that this definitely was the Savior sent from God. Because God had told John ahead of time, the one that you see, the Holy Spirit descending upon and remaining on him, that's the Christ. So now John knew this for sure, and he testified to that fact, and his words were recorded in the Gospels so that we have heard the same thing. Not only did John see the sign that he was expecting, but he also got to hear the very voice of God, the Father, speaking from heaven, saying, this is my son. Even before this, it must have been striking for the people who saw the baptism of Jesus. Because we're told that the people who came to John's baptism, they would confess their sins to him, and then they would be baptized by him. But Jesus must have come in silence, for he had no sins to confess. How strange and wonderful that must have been to see. This man, with no confession of sins, approaching John the Baptist and him baptizing him. And in doing this, Jesus grouped himself with God's people. You see, there were two groups out there in the wilderness. The people who heard God's word through his prophet and believed him and were baptized. And then there were the others who came and heard the message, like the Pharisees, and said, we don't need that. We're good by ourselves. And in this way, they rejected God's will for them, rejecting his prophet's message and the Lord's baptism. Which of those two groups do you think God would have Jesus be associated with? Those who didn't get baptized or those who did? Yeah, there's another, that's a simple reason. Simple enough reason for Jesus to be baptized too. Here on the banks of the Jordan River, God revealed that Jesus of Nazareth was his sinless son. And after three years of ministry and countless other epiphanies, God made the same statement again in a different way when he raised his crucified son from the dead on Easter morning. But with that action, he also said to the world, this is my son, just like he said and now, as I have been completely satisfied and pleased with him, now because of his death in your place, I am completely satisfied with you. Last year was full of a lot of questions. 
A lot of them are unanswered still, and probably will be forever. This year, sad to say, will be full of other unanswered questions. Hopefully not as many, but they'll be there. But you and I have the answer to the heaviest question we'll ever face. What am I going to do about my sinful heart? How am I going to be able to stand before God the Father? How am I going to be able to stand before the Son and the Spirit on that last day when my words and actions and my very thoughts are judged? And the answer is, I can't do anything about my sins because Jesus has already taken them away. His purity covers my sin. His death gives me life forever next to him. I was alienated from God by my sins, but now I've been restored as his own dear child through the cross of Christ. You see, no matter how many unanswered questions come this year, this answer, this gospel, will sweep them all away in time. So I've got a challenge for you. This last year, did you talk about COVID a couple times? I've been surprised how many conversations about COVID I've been in. I haven't really kept a running total, but I think I'm probably on COVID conversation number 1,532. Which number are you on? Well, this, this year, I challenge you to have more conversations about Jesus than about COVID, or about the government, or about the future. Give your fellow Christians and your neighbors, and your family, and your friends, and the people that you bump into who don't know about Jesus. Give them the answer, the epiphany that they need the most. Give them their Savior. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.